Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. So, Beverly Honig, I am so excited to have you on the She's the Boss podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jules. It's really great to be here. Now, I loved talking with you on the She's the Boss TV show, but we didn't have anywhere near enough time, I didn't think, for me to get through the huge amount of things that you do. So I'm going to jump straight into it because there's a lot I know that you've got on your plate and I'd really love to hear about all of it. So can you tell our listeners what it is that you do and a little bit about each of the businesses? Sure. Okay. Well, we'll start with Honeylight because Honeylight Enterprises is the overall umbrella for a number of different businesses. And now, when did you set up well when did you set up Honeylight? I mean is that because you had so many businesses or did you well, set that up at the start? Story how how it was set up. Um so this uh, okay, should we take the journey back to before it was set up or do you want to Yeah, no, let, okay, let's let's do another thing. Let's start at the beginning and tell me your story from when you left school to now. I think that might be easier because then the things will pop up as you go. Okay, let's make it um, a streamlined story. Um, <laughs> I, I qualified as a lawyer um, in Australia and then I went overseas to the Middle East and I qualif- re-qualified again as a lawyer. Yeah. Um, and tried it in a number of different languages. And the third time I requalified in the UK. So I'm a bit of an intercontinental lawyer, if you like, or an international lawyer in that right. regard. And I pra- Amazing. Yeah, and I practised for, for several years. And uh, coming back to Australia, I thought I'd uh, try my hand in management. And that was a number of years ago, and I decided to use my skills in law and use that legal background and pivoted right into shopping centre redevelopment and management. <laughs> as you do. Yeah, as you do. I mean, I, look, the original background was commercial property law, so it right. was um, alien to me. And, in okay. fact, used the skills that I had and took it into a whole new realm. And... Uh, I've been doing that, uh, I did that for many years with Coles Meyer and there was a whole shopping centre portfolio. In fact, it was one of the largest in Australia at the time. Oh, wow. So, so you were developing the shopping centres for yeah. Coles Meyer and people like that? Yeah, that's right. Where the original Chadston and, and Eastland in, in Maroondah, uh, Ringwood and uh, Morley in Perth and there were a number of really major regions. Wow. What an interesting, what an interesting diversion. So... Okay, so you're a lawyer, you're now developing all these big properties. Yeah. And were you just doing the legal side of it or did you start getting into other parts of the business? Well, I wasn't doing the legal side at all, but it always <laughs> came into play, if you know what I mean. Yeah, right. Yeah. You can take a girl out of the law, but you can't take the law out of the girl. <laughs> okay, but you were actually sort of, you know, managing the build of these of these things. That's right, like project managing the whole the whole uh, kit from beginning to end, including leasing and management. You know, the, the the orchestration of contracts right through to making it work, and you know, and making sure that people came and there was good traffic flow. So all of that. Amazing. Okay, so so what went on? So okay, so you're now developing businesses. What happened next? Yeah. So oh, then. 
after many years of that, I started working on government boards. I started getting invited to government business enterprises and um, chambers of commerce. And I used that legal background within that uh, landscape to enable good governance and, and risk management. And really from a commercial perspective, um, making things work in a way that really, you know, in a very practical way. And I, I still do that today. And that was a, a, right. a nice pivot as I segued from shopping centre management into building Honeylight Enterprises. So Honeylight Enterprises was named just after you had finished the building or is the building, are you still doing this building development now? Well, we have a building business, but it's not, uh, we can talk about Greenville developments in a moment, really. Um, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it is a construction business, but it's not shopping centres, it's mobile buildings. So that's yeah. Well, I think I know a little bit about. I think I've seen a video of yours about that. But but yeah. I, I'm enjoying this timeline. So keep going. And okay. Tell so me what happened next? So being at at Colesmeyer and then doing a master's of business, uh, of course, you know, you, your mind gets opened up to all sorts of opportunities. And while yeah. I was at business school, finishing off the MBA, I was asked to get involved with a project. Yeah. So we're talking about um, building a business from. A project, and that project was. I remember working with the the chief financial officer of this organisation at the time, saying, "What is Honeylight, and why are you doing anything but Honeylight?" And it became the business uh, just right. from this project that really was very exciting. Managing people, managing absenteeism, working out what could be better in a business in a time when they were really growing anyway. Um, it was really an exciting place to be, and so Honeylight. Be- became to be from this uh, project and it developed I guess it developed my passion to really find purpose in doing something right so, so what- amazing so that all sounds that sounds incredible so you've got all these people so what was the next mo- movement on from there god I love it. and and the other thing actually let me just go back first you are obviously very highly qualified academically. Why Why did you keep going back to uni or why did you want to learn more and, and do the master's and things? How did you think that that was adding to already loads of legal degrees and things that you had? Oh, that's in- yeah, it's an interesting question because legal is is a, a, a specific way of thinking. Even though yeah. it's broad, it's very, it's, it's very niche and it's a style. So going back into business school really broadened my mind opened me up to strategic management theories that really I hadn't come across and using that and pivoting that into Honeylight really did help the business. So it was very, very worthwhile. You know, why did it happen when it happened? It was just really talking to one of my clients. I know. That's right. Well, one of my clients was doing a master's and I thought, what a good idea. And I explored it and, um, and you know, I was really one of the first people that in this, one of the, this, in this business school, Melbourne Business School, that was doing it part-time because it was originally a full-time three-year program, but now everyone right. does it part-time. So, you know, things change. Yeah, no, well, there you go. It just goes to show you're ahead of the curve all the time. Yeah. So, <laughs> so sorry for that little segue. So, um, right, so what, what happened? So you'd set up Honeylight. Yeah. And that was going to be the umbrella company for some of the other things that you were doing. So what, what took off after that? Yeah, so that, I mean the, the Honeylight projects that grew from that were the people management projects and, and improvement in business. And right. that has really been one very steady arm of the business, you know, getting involved. And, yeah. 
And so tell me exactly how that works. So you go into large corporations, is it, and you assess their staff or? Yeah, or assess a challenge and really come up with four different things. So one of the things is growing the business through people. And and then, you know, we have many training and development programs for that. Um, Another part of the business is really growing or improving the profits. So looking at performance management. Okay. Um, the third part is really improving processes and structure, so streamlining streamlining businesses. Yeah. And the fourth part, which segues into other things, is improving product, and that's where innovation comes into play. Right. Wow. Fascinating. And do you have a massive team to do this, or do you do it all yourself? Or yeah. So does... even from that, uh, no. Look, you can't do anything by yourself. And even from <laughs> that very first project, many many years ago. Um, I assembled a team very quickly because you always need data analysts, you always need um, thinkers and you always need uh, doers and, you know, you really need to have a mixture of people in the business um, of diverse skills to really make it grow. So um, we have, um, oh, about uh, over 50 people now, but it depends. When we have large projects, we ramp up quite quickly. Right. Amazing. All right. So, so you're now done the property business. You've gone into this project management with honey light of people. What next? So um, then the business became twofold. And for many years, we have this uh, business improvement and still do, you know, going yeah. And then this training and development was uh, originally very uncluttered in Australia and we were able to really use our skills to develop programs such as uh, project management in a changing world and contract management and procurement, things that were really new to the management landscape um, enabled us to grow the training arm of the business and I ended up writing books on it, um, which was really exciting too, and started um, started a whole uh, kind of parallel world also lecturing at university in the subjects. So all of right. that, very much education-focused, but as you said, business education. No, but I love that. I mean, how incredibly fascinating. So um, so what happened after that? So you've ne- then you were writing books about it all. You're running these two arms of the business. What, how did it all sort of pan out from there? And, f- well, a lot of the people that I went to business school with uh, ended up working with me. And right. Really, some of them are very They smart. must love you. Are you the one who employed them all? Yeah. <laughs> they're, I mean, they're very seasoned professionals. They're not yeah, no, of course. business developers, but they're incredible people with incredible skills and backgrounds. So that was really um, a big part of the power of Honeylight. And still is. It's about the people, you know, and the the leaders in the business. Um, right. So when when did you start getting um, bitten by the sort of entrepreneurial bug? Like, at what stage did you start going? Innovation really interests me because coming out of law, uh, which is really not associated with innovation in a lot of ways, yeah. it's really interesting that you got you've obviously been bitten by the bug. So how did that all happen? Oh, look, um, it started uh, very much before then, but uh, but really became realised um, around, uh, oh, it was probably 20 years ago, which sounds like a long time. Uh, and- <laughs> Not to me, don't worry. <laughs> but, but, but something happened. What, what was the light bulb moment? Well, there were, I mean, a number of light bulb moments. Um, 
I suppose one of them was that um, I was very heavily involved with enabling business innovation through the Middle East and, and particularly Israel, you know, with, with the new technology coming through and, and being a, a board director of the Australia's Chamber of Commerce really enabled a whole lot of things to happen for Australia and the Australian government. So I just felt right. really inspired by that. And some of those things became honey light businesses or distributorships. Um, and they right. ranged oh, medical technology right through to fashion, right through to um, lots and lots of software-propelled businesses. Wow, interesting, because then you did, I know that you have a bit of a passion for tech as well. So so anyway, I keep interrupting your journey. I'm really interested to know, I know that you do um, those um, uh, well, shipping container homes, or I saw some videos about that, and I want to hear about that. That's the the housing business, is it? Yeah. So there's there's um, probably three things we can discuss today in the time that we've got. One of them is the Greenville developments, which yeah. is the upcycled shipping container buildings, and that's a really exciting business because you call it construction, but it's really enabling waste minimization and car- carbon neutralization. Because there's a whole ah, lot of yes. there's shipping containers sitting on docks for years, just, you know, petrifying and, and you know, just sitting there, taking up space and, and be creating waste. So what we yep. do is buy the good ones and we repurpose them for customers. Oh, I just love that idea. I've been drooling over the idea of having um, having a home made out of shipping containers for years and, and watch it on grand designs and go, I want one of those. So so did you get architects involved and how do you use them? I mean, what yeah. kind of homes are they and how who uses them? So we, we our main business is um, commercial uh, mobile buildings. That means... So what... We, yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah, we started off with, um, with uh, Queen Victoria Building. Right. And the Queen Victoria Market asked us to do some um, pop-up shops, which, um, I mean, the pop-up shops are not temporary. They're, the court and steel lasts for 100 years. Yeah, right. So whilst it looks like a temporary thing, they're really, really resilient and they're good for the environment. And we're yeah. very, very conscious of using, you know, carbon neutral material too, very, very conscious. So that was an exciting um, beginning. And now we're asked by some of the largest organisations in Australia to build innovation labs or pop-up cafes or pop-up mobile showcases that they can bring around Australia and, and promote whatever it is they're promoting. And they can get quite elaborate. You know, it's not just the sheds that we're talking about. No, no. Well, I mean, that's what's so amazing about them because, I mean, there's even, I mean, I'm in the in Melbourne's inner west and there is a cafe around the corner that's been made out of three and you really wouldn't know. Every time I go there I have to say to the people I'm with, do you know this has been made out of three shipping containers? Yeah, right. Because they are so, and they're so robust and I've had friends build holiday homes with them, you know, where to, when you, it's a hard to access place. So, I just love the idea of them being repurposed and particularly for buildings. So go and tell us about a really extravagant one that you've, you've you know, um, up, up, what's the word for it? Upcycle. Uh, upcycle. Upcycle. Tell me, tell, tell me a couple of really exciting ones. Uh, well, we've just finished um, um, one for Woodside um, called a Future Lab, which oh, is nice. very, very high tech. So it's all, yeah. uh, it's all been clad with... Um, like um, special cotton steel that looks amazing and it right. looks like it's rusted but it's it's um, very, very well preserved. 
Um, and, in, and it's got all sorts of opening and closing flying hatches and you name it. And inside, it's meant to inspire graduates and people in STEM to create amazing things. It's covered with, um, we've embedded WebEx, Cisco WebExes and Telstra 5G and um, every sort of wanfangle you can think of from a very, very simple shipping container. It's a mobile flying tech unit. And it, it, sounds, it sounds like the TARDIS, really, with the yeah. amount of stuff that you put in, into it. <laughs> and it's, you know, we just literally chuck it on a, a, a truck and it gets trucked around Australia. And we finished this just before the pandemic hit. Um, and so we were lucky to get it over the border um, to Karatha just before right. the close. And from there, the very exciting things working with the Indigenous community and and, and doing some great inspira- inspiring work. So, you know, from a little shed really can come an amazing uh, innovation within the mobile unit. That's, That's fantastic. Yeah. That is just, and also just the fact that they're focusing on STEM is something we love as well, I I think. Yeah. <laughs> and since then, um, we've been, we've been, had many, many calls from the bushfire victim areas like Bigger Valley and, um, oh yes, and they're saying, "Listen, we need we need home units now. We need home offices now. What can you do?" So we're working very closely with some of those areas too, which is great. Oh, I'm so pleased to hear that because I have friends who live up near Maruya Mogo area, yeah. and 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 one of them was telling me she's a sales rep, so she's out on the road a lot, and she was saying to me that um, there's still people up there living in tents which I was just so heartbroken to hear when you think of the huge outpouring of, you know, fundraising and all the rest of it, that it hasn't got to those people. So, uh, and, and, and the idea of shipping container homes is just brilliant and shops and everything. And the beauty of it is why is it so different? Well, it's much quicker to build and yeah. so it's much more affordable depending on what goes in it. I mean, I was talking about yeah. an elaborate one, but you can really keep it simple, two or three bedrooms, with some beautiful windows and some skylights or a double story. And, you know, you can build it within two or three months rather than a year for the same cost that it would cost to, um, to build, you know, a very small house. So really it's, it's very effective building. Yeah, no, I think, I think that they're great. And I also love aesthetically on the outside, the things that people are doing with them as well. So that's amazing. So how did you get into the shipping container side of things? What, what, what happened that made you move from construction, you know, which obviously you were doing big commercial constructions, to going into upcycling shipping containers? Yeah, so, I mean, it was a series of events, but really Greenville is a project management company. And so right. what it does, you know, because there's so many things involved in building a yeah. house or, or an office, it's not just builders. It's making sure that, you know, you're procuring the right materials, making sure that everything's done efficiently. So that's what we do. We're project managers. And and that's what uh, we did at Coles Meyer. We were project managers of shopping right. centres. So there was a segue that makes it very easy to have the learned skills and apply it in a different medium. It does make sense. Um, yeah, it does. It does make sense. Absolutely. So, so let's move into what maybe doesn't make sense. And this is the only, only, only other business I know you do. So you probably have other ones as well. But talk to me about the aged care initiative because I love that. Ah, uh, sure. So, Uniper Care Te- Technologies or Uniper Care. It's very exciting um, because 
We're leaving behind a generation that are not very, very technically capable. When everyone says, get online, and the councils say, get online and use our services, what about the people that aren't online? What about yeah, that, or that, and that are terrified of it as well? You know, and I attend so many seminars where I speak about Uniper, and the first thing I say is, I believe that the older generation, those over 80 or 85 or 90, are extremely tech savvy. And you know why? Because they've got a huge piece of technology in their living room called a television. Yes. <laughs> so what we do is just enable that television through Uniper TV to become something that's living and breathing and you can talk through it. Older people are very isolated. They're living at home more, which is great. You know, we want to be in our own homes, but yeah. more and more they're losing friends uh, because of, you know, attrition. And we need to keep people socialised in order yes. to improve and, you know, mental health and reduce uh, conditions and, and all the things that we know has been proven statistically to work. And the main part of that is socialisation and, you know, people working and and talking with other people. It's what yeah. we all do best. But as one grows older, that sort of like tends, one tends to be at home more and more lonely and sort of like left behind in this whole tech race. So we put together yes. technology that really swivels or pivots a TV into a talking machine so that you can interact with health carers for sure, family and friends as, as you want, but most important of all, be part of a group and part of a community. And that means... Oh, I see. So there's a, com there's a community within the people who are using this service as well. Exactly. Now, oh, I love that. Yeah. And there's lots of communities. So what we do, what, what this is, is a business-to-business -business model so that we work with other businesses such as very large in-home care providers who okay. have hundreds of thousands of people at home that they need to connect with and they need to understand what, what their clients' needs are, both social as well as health, so they right. use to, um, to use through the web portal to understand what we call grey data. And that grey data is real-time client needs. What are you wanting? What are you needing? For example, do you want us to remind you to take your prescriptions? Easy done. Do you want us to give you a call just to have a chat? Easy done through your TV. It, it, so you actually physically see people, which is a big deal when people are feeling isolated. Absolutely. So what do they do? Can they just like ring it like a telephone? I mean, how do they book in or can they just ring a friend and see them through the TV? Either of those things. You can Amazing. Yeah, it's a it, you can be watching TV and then Uniper uh, your Uniper your granddaughter rings um, from overseas and it says, "Would you like to speak to your granddaughter?" And all you need is the okay button. That's the only thing you need to know. So it's okay, oh. okay, no. That is so clever, Beverly. But tell me, where did the little germ of this idea come from? Because it's brilliant and it's one of those kind of dope moments where you go, well, how come no one did this earlier? Like what came, who came up with the idea and how? Well, that's exactly what innovation is about, you know. Yeah. Why hasn't anyone thought of this? There are obvious things that, you know, not there are new things or innovative ways of approaching this whole problem. And we thought, you know, there's a real need out there. I know that I couldn't contact my mother during lockdowns um, over the years, and I'm not talking about pandemic lockdowns. I'm talking about isolation lockdowns because 
in in someone's um, got a cold or something yeah. and then the whole yeah. facility closes down for maybe two three four weeks and that happens yeah. every year around flu season as well as other times so this is a beautiful way for people who are very busy and working to connect with their family but much more importantly is the fact that we have live group sessions you want to join a zumba class you want to join a singing class just you know, click here, and you can be part of it, and we'll see you, and we'll listen to you, and it will all it's, be interactive. It's absolutely so clever and so amazing. Like, I mean, I just can't believe no one thought of it earlier. Was this your idea, Beverly? So it came through partners, and yeah. um, we've taken it on board. So um, I can't claim uh, the you know the originator of the idea. No, no, no. But, um, you know, the whole you- idea. With, with You know, with entrepreneurship, it's ideas are great, but everyone's got ideas. It's really about bringing it to life and making it, it work. Is. And that's the hard bit. The hard bit is make engaging customers. But if you've got something that works, it's not that hard. It's just a matter of getting out there and, you know, networking. Well, it's just brilliant. This this one in particular kind of really resonates with me because my partner's mother has gone into aged care just before the pandemic. Yeah. And I just, the thought of her not being able to see her husband and being in this new home without anyone there to be able yeah. to talk to her. So how do people sign up? Like, is it the aged care provider that needs to sign up or can anyone who hears this and wants to do it for their parents organise it themselves? Uh, so theoretically they could, but it needs to go through a business. For example, right. we've got, we work with the Independent Living Solutions retailer Leaf who has okay. in stores around Australia and they're growing. So they, yep. uh, they, they have this in their showroom and you can see that and then be part of the Leaf portal. So it really does depend. Okay. Yeah, it depends on where you're physically living, what community you're part of. And then who you'd like to be associated with. So if you're part but of But if, if they were to go to Unip, is it U I U N I P E R like dot com dot AU, is yeah. there a way for them to find their local provider? Yes. Yeah. So you oh, can go on that. And and there's also a one three hundred number and you can um, you can inquire and we can set you up. Yes. That's amazing. I'm going to have to try and set that up for my mother for my mother-in-law almost. So, now just going back onto your journey because honestly you have so many strings to your bow. Can you tell me what the next thing was because I know that you're also a judge in your part-time <laughs> as if you have any part-time. But yeah. what what other what other things are you doing? So, you've got Unipu, you've got Honey Light, you've got the green um green upcycling of the of the yeah. What else are you up to? So we've got, um, I was really honoured to be approached by um, um, an Indigenous community and um, we have set up an Indigenous enterprise, the first of its kind in the world, um, which is based on blockchain. Now, the wow. challenge, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible to be involved with First Nations blockchain. Well, yes, because that is just so cutting edge. I mean, I don't even know what blockchains are. Yeah. It's so cutting edge and in such contrast to everything else that they're being offered, I'm sure. So yeah. tell us a bit about how it all works. So the, the whole idea behind this was how can Indigenous artists protect their intellectual property? Now, right. as a Westerner, you hear that and you think, oh, well, intellectual property is the artwork. And that is true. But as a non-Westerner, as a First Nations, it's everything behind the artwork. It's the culture and the story 
and their rights to self-determination and which mob they belong to and why they painted what they painted and what it means. And all that meaning becomes intellectual property. It's called cultural intellectual property or Indigenous cultural intellectual property. So how do you protect that is the big question. And the under- no idea. Yeah. So and and it's been a real issue over the ages because there's lots of fake art out there that's promoting itself as indigenous art. Yep. And there's lots of exploitation in this industry, which um, which is a whole other issue. Um, how do you kind of combat that? So we thought the way to combat that and to really um, initiate self determination for Indigenous cultural intellectual property is yeah. to put, uh, record and register authentic Indigenous cultural uh, intellectual property and artwork on what's called a blockchain, which is something that can't be hacked, it's, it, it can't be deleted and it can't be copied because once, right. once you register that interest or that value, we'll call it a value, on a blockchain then it's forever there. That means that if someone is an Indigenous artist and they are interviewed and their story is then uploaded into code into the blockchain, then no one else can say that they're that artist and no one else can really refute that. And, ah, and then you've also got timestamps on it and you've got all, everything all sort of collated together. And what is the what is the upshot of this? You're in a museum, for example, and you use the yep. First Nations blockchain app to scan uh, a painting and you straight away know it's authentic. Ah, so clever. So really this has got massive applications maybe across art galleries around the world, not yeah. just Aboriginal art. Absolutely. But the beauty here is it's an Indigenous uh, Aboriginal enterprise. So when when this goes global and we're just starting to work. They will benefit. Uh, it will be unbelievable for, for First Nations in Australia, Ab- absolutely unbelievable working with uh, Canadian First, First Nations and, and several other entities that we've already set up networks with. It's really, really very exciting. Like if you're an international buyer or collector, yep. the way that you can authenticate um, a piece of art uh, is literally using First Nations blockchain app. Amazing. How amazing is that? That's brilliant. Mm. So, um, well, gosh, I mean, and and then just tell me quickly how you got into judging and then I'm going to ask you some other questions other than what you just do. (laughs) That was was years ago. I think um, it was like maybe 15, 16 years ago because, I mean, my background is law and it's sort of like very much um, very relatable to commercial law. Um, it's an area of essential services commissions that deal with deregulated industries. And that means, right. you know, electricity, gas, taxis, um, water, all of that in Australia has been deregulated, as in other countries. But uh, the Australia, um, the Australian infrastructure set up um, the Essential Services Commission, which deals with deregulated industries and other things, and I'm a judge on the appeals tribunal, meaning, you know, if, if large gas companies or electricity companies um, are a bit concerned or their consumers are concerned about pricing, then, yep. then there's a very big long-term appeal where, you know, you, it looks like a court. Um, it is a yep. court, um, but it's done under 
it's um, held under natural justice, which means you need a bit of a commercial head to deal with the legalities of it, and that's sort of like where I fit in. So it sort of made sense, and it's very—it's probably one of the mo- most exciting things that I do, funnily enough. Right, amazing. Okay, so now I'm going to ask you some more questions about your entrepreneurial journey. The first one, and I don't want to put you on the spot, so I'm going to ask it and don't feel you have to answer it if there's no one who springs to mind. But because this is a show about women in business, I always like to ask the question, are there any women who have helped you along the way that you can think of and how did they help you if there are? Because you've been in quite a male-dominated industry. In fact, all the industries you're in are pretty masculine, I would have thought. Um. Well, look, yeah, I mean, I guess the answer to that is there's many small moments. Yes, uh, okay. There's many women that have inspired me, bits and pieces, um, whether it was on boards or with a little bit of advice. Yeah. I remember in the early days I was, um, uh, I used to have lots and lots of coffees with Elizabeth Proust and we were, um, and she's an inspiring lady, you know, and um, Alana Rubin and she's another inspiring lady. And oh, great. There were many sort of chats that I've had, um, you know, and then I think in the earlier days I was approached by Gillian Franklin. I don't remember her, but she's um, she's quite an incredible woman that now heads up Heat, um, which is a cosmetic company, and she's um, she approached me to be a member of the Women Chiefs of Enterprise. And uh, oh, great. yeah, it was a really it was a time when I just had set just about to set up. Honey Light and was still at Colesmeyer and it was an exciting group to be involved with because they were really charged women with great agendas, not sitting in a group of women, not talking about women issues, but yeah. really getting into boardrooms of large, for, you know, <laughs> large fortune, fortune 500 companies and talking about what women can do to make a difference and, and issues about business in general. And that's what I loved about it. It wasn't just like moaning about the challenges of what, um, no. what in front of women, but it was really just getting out there as business women and talking And doing about stuff. Business. Yeah. And that was great. Oh, yeah. That sounds fantastic. Okay. And then along your journey, because we all have journeys where we wiggle, you know, if the line isn't it just never a nice straight line, there's all sorts of things that happen along the way. Yeah. Have there been any particular successes or failures that you've learned something from that you can share with us? Oh, oh, that's a good question. Yeah. It's a big question. I know it's a big question as well. So, I mean, even if you can think of one or two. But I think think there's things that we learn from when disasters happen to us and there are things that we learn when things go really well, probably more from the disasters, but just things that we can share with other women who might be on a business journey as well. Yeah. I I always think of President J.F. Kennedy when when (laughs) people ask me why you do what you do and what, you know, tell us some stories. You know, when they went, they tried to land people on the moon and they did it and he got up and he says, we choose to do the things we do not because they are easy but because they are hard. Yes. (laughs) I love it because I really feel like I do what I do because I have the courage to do it and not because they're easy. And a lot of my friends, you know, you could do so many other things that are so easy and it is true. So because of that, um, you know, there are successes and and, uh, I don't use that word failure, by the way. It's not in my dictionary because words are very powerful. But let's look at. That's true. And I shouldn't use it. I think I might talk about challenges more. Yeah. But But, um, I suppose 
one of the defining moments was when I was in the Middle East and re-qualifying as a lawyer in another language. Oh, and at God. the end of two years of, um, you know, how the, it's like article clerkship. So the end yeah. of two years of, you know, really breaking my teeth with a judge and, and working in a law firm, I felt like I, I really had got the language um, like a native. Yeah. But I had to front up in front of three high court judges for a final oral exam. And right. the native people were sweating and it was probably <laughs> one of the biggest challenges ever in my life because it was not only knowing every law of the land but it was also in another language. Yes, in I, another culture. Yeah. Yep. And, in, uh, you know, I didn't want to come as an Australian, you know, that didn't know the language. So I really made a huge effort and um, the, the the three high court judges are sitting there with a manila folder with my details in it and flipped yep. over the first page, you know, of those old manila folders where the first page kind of went <laughs> with the folder. So they yep. flipped over the part where it says I was a trained lawyer in Australia from Monash University and just saw the experience I had in their country. And so they just thought I was one of them. And I think, you know, that was a oh. moment because good, you know, I passed and that was great because, you know, the content was important, but I was enculturated. You know, I really believe cultural literacy is the most valuable currency in the world. Oh, that's really fascinating and well done for doing it. And I think that's just another great example of you using that um, Kennedy quote, which I really love, which is just basically extend yourself. Don't do the easy stuff. Do the harder stuff where you'll learn and it'll stretch you and it'll use your brain and um, all those positive things. And you obviously have done that. Yeah. You know, and um, and that was really hard and it could have been an absolute disaster, but you just got to work on things and see things as a work in progress or success in project in progress, I call it, you know, not a failure. Yeah. If things kind of go astray, so success in pro- progress. I mean, exactly, exactly. And, you know, you've got to embrace all of those things if they don't go as planned, because often there can be some little diversion or some something that you have to do to manage it that ends up being better than, you know, than you would have thought of in the first place. Uh, almost always, you know, it, I, I see things as blessing in disguises. You know, I, one thing I always have thought really right from school days was never regret what you do because there's always an upside to everything. And there's, you don't always see it on the spot, but you realise later, you know, with a bit of wisdom. So never regret, oh, I wasted time or I shouldn't have done that or that was um, not a good move. It, it's all planned. I am very much, you know, a fatalist. And there's a reason yes. for everything, and that reason is is usually in your favour if you if you see a little bit of the light. And as as you grow more mature, I think that wisdom kind of develops too. I think. Yeah, I think we we, we get the perspective of it and and yeah. start to kind of go. You know, all those little things that we worried about when we were younger, they yeah. really don't matter. And also disasters, as you say, with a bit of perspective can actually be an absolute godsend, but you do need to just get through them and you absolutely need to put one foot in front of the other and not just give up and say it's all too hard. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Okay, so here's a great question, and I don't know anything about your personal life at all, but how do you juggle your work and your life? What sort of hours are you working? Like are you set? Is it because you've got a lot on your plate, do you actually turn everything off and go home and have time out or is it all just a big part of the tapestry of life kind of thing? 
Uh, it's definitely part of the tapestry of life. <laughs> Look, I don't like turn. First of all, I mean, I don't call it work because I mean, I choose to do what I do. Because you love it. I love it, and it's like it's like really full on play. Um, right. If you ask my family, they'll say I'm always I'm always on. I'm always on. But you know, I love that. If we go on holiday, I, I am always thinking of new opportunities. It's not like a, it's it's not um, a negative thing. It's just an open minded thing. Yes. So um, I think the new ideas really inspire me, and I can't turn that mindset off for sure. Um, but it doesn't stress. And you me. wouldn't want to, Beverly. Really, I, I, I think having that—you just have that kind of a brain if you're that kind of person. Yeah. Um, and you're obviously coming up with the ideas and seeing the opportunities. But the big difference, as you said earlier, is you're acting on them. And there are millions and millions and millions of people that have great ideas. It's just that only hundreds, probably maybe thousands, actually get on and do something about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, do, I, I run these workshops in design thinking and there's never, there's a, a dearth of ideas, that's for sure, everyone's got ideas. But what to do about them, you know, it, it sounds like that's the tricky bit and, um, you know, and it, you really just have to have a bit of structure in that. You know, it's not organic. No, it isn't, but it is, it is a case of, okay, well, what could I do now? And then I'll look at the bigger picture and then I'll break it down. You know, you can't eat an elephant except with a spoon, that kind of idea. <laughs> it. Break it into manageable bits and just start moving. Yeah, exactly. And get some, and you know, if you, if you do have a, biz, a, a new idea for a business, you know, get some feedback from potential clients because that's where it starts. Yeah, that's a that's a really great um, bit of advice. And certainly from doing the show, the one thing that almost all the women say is do your research, find out that there's a market for it. Although I'm not as big a fan of that, because I think if you're truly doing innovation, then people might not understand. So I mean, in my case, I was teaching people how to do PR. It's a weird thing when there is no competition and nobody really knows what they don't know. Do you know That's what I mean? I do. It's like Ford said, if I would have asked people what they wanted when he had an idea about cars, they would have said faster horses. That's exactly right. In fact, I've used that quote before. And it's true. You, you would never say a car if you didn't even know what a car was. But So to an extent, you want to be guided by other people. But a lot of it is if you really believe in yourself and you really can see that there's an opportunity, then just go for it yeah. and do it. Yeah. Um, and, and you'll find out one way or the other. And it may not turn out exactly the way you had imagined, but no doubt it'll still be fabulous. Yeah, that's right. Great. Okay, so sorry, and this wasn't about me waffling on. So what about, and again, I'm putting you on the spot, but is there a quirky fact about you that you would like to share with me and the other she-bosses that maybe lots of people don't know about you? A quirky fact? Well, I don't know. A I mean, quirky fact. I'm a bit of an open book, so there's no real secrets, but um, I have been doing two things in my spare time over the years. Right. Um, one of them is, is painting with oils. I love painting. Oh, wow. Right. I have these um, unusual paintings at home. Some of them are surrealism. Um, and uh, we had some people over the other night for dinner and and they commented, wow, you must really like this artist, B. Honig. <laughs> they didn't realise it was me, but that was a good thing. <laughs> That is fantastic, and I love surrealist art. In fact, Salvador Dali would be one of my favourite artists in the world. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah. So you're an artist on the side. Yeah, on the side. I love it. It's a hobby, and, and uh, you know, I've always loved it. 
Yeah, that's great. Okay, yeah. now I'm now. Thank you very much for this great conversation, and I have absolutely loved chatting with you. I've now got a couple of silly kind of questions that I'm going to ask you yeah. um, that are nothing really to do with your business, but. If you look at your phone, what are the two, other than banking, because I don't want to go into banking, are there a couple of apps that you find really useful for work or for life that you'd like to share? Sure. Well, um, one of the things I do in my spare time is Duolingo. It's one of the apps that I use. What's that? Learning um, another language. A language lab, yeah, and I'm, I'm teaching myself Chinese. Um <sighs> Oh, my goodness, Beverly, you are a woman who likes to take on hard things. You're teaching yourself Chinese. That's yeah, incredible. I reckon we've all got to know Chinese. And um, working with an app is a fairly passive way of learning a language, so it's not ideal. And my reading skills and my listening skills are fantastic, and my speaking right. skills are not as great. So, that you know, that's what comes from working self-teaching. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I do it every night. I was going to say, do you put it on before you go to sleep and hope it'll sink into your unconscious or how uh, are you doing it? Late at night. But, you know, it's um, it's fun. It's a bit of a challenge. Um, I've got a lot of that. There's one. Oh, I, I, yeah, yeah. Go on, give me another one. Go on. One called Buffer. So you can share your social media posts across your whole network and, and you can schedule content so it's posted at the right time. That's, an, that's, a, that's a useful one. Yes, I agree. And I got Love another that one, one. Uh, I, I, you probably know a company, you know. So you're going into a big meeting and you know if you use a company, you can nail those, those um, the people in the room and you do your research through a company. It's A-double-C. I, I have never heard of it. A, com a company, oh, a company as in to accompany you and you can go in there and look and research people, can you? Yeah, that's right. Oh, my goodness, that's a great one to know. Okay, and then last question, what's your fun app for personal time? My fun app? Um, <laughs> Other than Duolingo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, oh, well, um, play you know, games and Buffer and I've nothing too original. I'm sort of like on Insta and LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn because it's like a whole world of people like me. And I really Yes, I do too. And I was quite, I mean, I kind of signed up really early to LinkedIn. I mean, I reckon I would have had my account for about eight or nine years yeah. or maybe longer and then just got completely over it because I felt like it was just like reading ads, you know, yeah. it was just yeah. for a long time. And then I feel like in the last couple of years it's come into its own and it's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, you can really search for the right people in the right enterprises and uh, and you can connect with great people like you, right? We can <laughs> I think. Exactly. We met via LinkedIn. Okay, now, Beverly, if people want to get hold of you, um, can you just run through, well, I guess we now know all about your different initiatives. What's the best way to get hold of you for any of them? The best way is via our website, honeylight.com.au. Okay. And, that um, and also, obviously, they can reach out on LinkedIn, come to think of it, because <laughs> I know you answer. <laughs> yeah, Beverly Honey. All right. Well, thank you so, so much for your time today. I have loved this chat. You are such an awe-inspiring woman um, and, and everything that you're doing is just brilliant. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, I will very much look forward to seeing you pop up in the media at different times with all your different initiatives. Oh, you're terrific, Jules. Your style is really, really pleasant and um, very, very open and it's just really easy working with you. Oh, thank you so much. Well, hopefully our paths will cross again soon. Yeah. Okay, bye. Again, bye. I hope you've enjoyed this She's the Boss chat episode. It was great to have you here. 
If you want to stay in touch, you might also like some of the other things that we've got going on with She's the Boss. Firstly, I've got the She's the Boss show, which is on Ticker TV. Now, you can watch that either on tickertv.com.au or you can download the Ticker app from any of the app stores. So Apple and Android, and they've got an app that is for your phone, for your iPad or tablet, and for the smart TV. Or you could join us for our free Zoom lunches for female founders that we hold online. The best way to do any of these things really is go to she'sthebossscomau and on there you can register for the lunches and I've also got links to the website. So either way, I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying digging down and getting down to the nitty gritty with these women and I hope you'll join me for the next episode. 